This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching the Wall Street Coach Podcast. I'm very grateful to those viewers who are so loyal to us. Friendly reminder, we have a trader check-in, which is a 10-question short uh, check-in to do before you start your trading day. It just helps you get clear on where you're at before you jump in into any kind of volatility. I hope you'll sign up for it at tradercheckin.com. Enjoy this episode of my podcast. Aloha, everybody. Welcome back to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. My name is Kim Ann Curtin, and I'm very happy today to have David's son here. David doesn't come from a finance background. He picked up options from a friend while pursuing a master's in electrical engineering at Princeton during 0809. In 2017, he discovered Tasty Trade. They're definitely a friend of this podcast. Tom Slasnoff is the man, and that experience of discovering Tasty to trade really accelerated David's learning curve. He launched his first options-based hedge fund in 2018, followed by a second hedge fund in 2021. Today, he's the host of the Trade Busters podcast, focusing on educating retail options traders with emphasis on risk management. And I love this quote, a return on time. Welcome, David, to my podcast. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for having me. And thanks for the opportunity to come on and share. It's my pleasure, and I have to really thank Brian Lee, our mutual friend and colleague, for putting us together in the first place. So hat tip to you, Brian. Return on time. Talk about that first and foremost, because I really never hear that word that way. And good Lord, it's so powerful. Yeah, no, that's a topic I'd really like to get into. Some of my other appearances are kind of more technical podcasts and we always get into like the strategy and the nitty gritty, but I want to come on your podcast because I know you kind of focus on different aspects like, you know, trader EQ, being self-centered, self-aware, you know, yes. and the return on time. I think it really kind of matches the theme. And I think I can bring a little different perspective. And as you mentioned, I'm a big fan of Brian, right? That's how I kind of found you. I've been following him for a while and then found your podcast, love listening to what you had to share. And so the idea is more like when people think about trading, I think there's this dichotomy between a fully passive investor and then somebody who's like a 24-7 day trader. You know, people like Brian Lee, they're like kind of the, the elite of the elite, right? This is almost like, he's like, I don't know, the LeBron James or trading or something, right? But this is like on the opposite end of the spectrum. And I think there's this kind of gap in the middle where people don't realize, right? You don't have to be all in, you don't have to be all out. And the idea of return on time is really the way I structure strategies and the way I approach kind of investing and portfolio construction. I have this term called passively active investing, which Love is the that. idea that the Pareto effect where 20% of your effort results in 80% of the results. And I'm, I'm really trying to push that to the extreme. I want 1% of the effort to make 99% of the result, right? So that's the idea of return on time where with the amount, right amount of education and really understanding. And for me, the, the kind of the weapon of choice is options, but you can make strategies that add value beyond just closing your eyes, buying and holding like SPY index fund that can kind of enhance the return or give better risk-adjusted returns. And they don't have to have that screen time, right? You don't have to be 
you know, watching charts all day. And 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 sometimes it's almost a little unbelievable because I, I say things like one trade a day or, you know, put on this trade once a day, one adjustment a day. And it almost sounds like those infomercials. And it, there's this kind of, sometimes it gets this kind of skepticism, right? Yeah. But it's true. And again, like, it's not like you're going to, again, be like the Bryans of the world and make thousands of percent right. or go quit your job. But you're going to meaningfully add value to your investments and to your portfolio without having to, again, spend all that time. And that's the idea of return on on time. Yeah, I I feel that is such a powerful kind of perspective that you're wanting to educate people in that way. But I do think it seems that traders of all different levels don't always take into account their time is their most precious commodity. And I know that you're focusing on it around, you know, where are you going to put your money, especially if you don't want to be 24-7 trading. But I think just your sensitivity to time itself is different than a lot of traders. Do you think, and, and you're young, to be honest. So that to me is what's so remarkable about you. I find people who are really sensitive to how short and quickly time goes by. We talked about that before the podcast started about how it's been two months since we talked and it seems to fly. I find that those who are really in tune to time, especially here in Hawaii, there's a larger cohort of elders. You know, I paddle with sometimes 70, 80, 90 year olds. They are in tune to time. What do you think made you at such a young age become so sensitive to how fragile time is? It might not be so much the initial onset of that aspect, the sensitivity to time, but more just my nature of wanting to be efficient with what I do. And people who have followed my podcast or have seen my appearances on Taste and Trade Rising Star, for example, they know coming from that electrical engineering background, that's kind of a, an analytical mindset to begin with. And I still have my day job and you know I did my hedge fund and did all these things. And it's all about knowing how to increase efficiency and knowing how to make best use of the time. Wanting to structure strategies and trades that take advantage of that was kind of a natural extension. But also, again, out of necessity, because I didn't have aspirations to quit my job and you know, trade on the beach or something, right? Yeah. And and I know there's this kind of in the background of, okay, yes, this guy launched a hedge fund, two hedge funds, and all that, that sounds like a, a ton of stuff. And it was, but... The way we approached it, like we do automated trading, for example. So like all of our time spent in the research, that's all asynchronous, right? It, it doesn't have to be, again, focused on, oh, if I don't, if I'm on my screen and I miss the setup, I'm going to miss a trade or whatever. It, it's a very different approach. Yeah. And it's more about pouring time where you can get the most, you know, uh, leveraging your efforts, so to speak. So I think it's kind of just my personality and sort of oh. out of necessity and the way Again, what I wanted to get out of my trading, and like, again, it wasn't to quit my job, but it's more like, hey, how can I take these efforts, build this business out of it, and do something out of it where I can kind of magnify the effect of the time that I spend on it? Do you feel that, that your background in electrical engineering informed that sense of just wanting to be precise? Just tell us how that has formed your perspective and all that you're doing. Yeah, I think that word makes a lot of sense, the precision and always wanting to kind of approaching everything, kind of the scientific method and having like an idea 
And then even the way we build strategies, right? It's, you know, have an idea, do rigorous testing, validate, cross-validate, use that to build conviction, and then do a test run and then, you know, deploy it live. And so I think that it is probably just my personality and why I want to be an engineer. So that kind of informs the approach, I guess, that we take and, yep. and what we do. And your other quote too, I remember when we first started talking was knowledge is conviction. Talk about that. Yes, you remembered I was going to say, uh, because yeah, people think knowledge is power and, and knowledge is conviction because with trading and, and uh, you know, I, I listen to all your episodes and, and there's parallels among what everyone says about kind of the insecurities and when you trade, going through drawdowns and even your last guest, JT Trader, he mentioned about like the importance of testing. And there's some misconception about that, like testing and backtesting isn't like, okay, just because I ran some backtest magically, oh, I'm going to have, you know, the holy grail and it's going to make money, right? But it's more, it helps you understand context, right? If you haven't, for us, it's not about the test itself isn't like going to make some edge or advantage. But if I have, first starting with the understanding, understanding the markets, understanding what we do, understanding options, having some idea of where their edge might be, but then having a hypothesis and going out and trying to, okay, I want to craft or structure some trader strategy to take advantage of that, but now I need to test it because yes, not every test that looks good is going to make money, yep. but I think you definitely don't want to go trade a strategy that tests poorly and clearly doesn't make money, right? And so that iterative approach and really starting with a foundational knowledge and then testing, and I mentioned the validation, cross-validation, that helps you have conviction because no matter how good something looks, right? The moment, the moment something doesn't go perfectly, the doubt creeps in, right? The the, yes. um, the second guessing. And yes. if you don't have that context and say, "Hey, I've done this and I've looked at okay, looked at ten years, and there is going to be a few months, there's some rough patches." That's part of the expectation, yes. right? Yes. Because it's, it's always a question of, "Am I in a drawdown, or is what I'm doing dead?" Right. right? And you can't really answer that, but you need that context to have the conviction. Otherwise, if you don't keep going, what's the point of having a strategy? Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody speak to back testing is valuable for the context. That's pretty powerful, David. It's like you're suggesting you have to get your, I keep thinking of a garden. Like you can read all the books about gardening. You can understand how to place seeds and how to water and have much sun. But if your hands aren't in the dirt and don't have the context of the wind and this, that, it's like, you're just saying, hey, look at the context get your feet wet and really understand what is happening in here. Not so much just to, again, have that like money-making strategy. It's really powerful. Yeah. And the interesting thing is the availability of off-the-shelf software for retail traders to do sophisticated automated backtesting, that's been getting more robust before you have to know coding and build your own. And what I say about context is because this isn't about plugging in a thousand tests and looking at, okay, strategy A has, here's the PNL, I'm going to make X dollars, X dollars, whatever. And then they're just looking at, people look at return on capital. Okay, thousand percent, whatever it is, right? And then here's how much going to make. And I'm actually, in my podcast, I'm planning to make like a mini series on like best practice for backtesting. But things like, and I, like I mentioned, if you have a 10-year backtest, 
what's the max drawdown? What is the expected risk, right? How often, what's the percentage of days you're going to actually be profitable or not? Knowing that, that sets your expectation going forward. Otherwise, you just, again, if you, if you just have that dollar sign in your mind, well, that's the end point, right? That's the, the journey is what matters, right? The end, seeing, seeing the end point and not seeing how low of a valley you have to go through to get there, you know, that's going to make a difference. Huge, huge, because it's managing expectations. And that I feel is if there's a downside to the plethora of information that's out there for traders, it's that on one hand, we traders need to know, hey, this possibly or those who aren't traders who were saying, you know, hey, look, this is a potential revenue stream for you. It's like, how do you do that? while saying also you're going to have to go through those valleys of hard work, of effort, of understanding. And it's like you want to encourage people, but you also don't want people to think that it's going to be a cakewalk. But I think it's delicate balance. And I feel even your website, I just really want to highlight David's website, which is the tradebusters.com is filled with so much value. It's truly like a multiple level Google sheet that allows you to look at podcasts that he recommends. Even you you should tell Tasty Trade, you've done a better job organizing all of those podcasts that are a must watch for traders because they're, it, it's really hard, like you said, to go into Tasty Trade and find what they should watch. But David's done the work for you people. So go to his website because you're gonna walk away so educated. When did you start that website? And how come you're so generous with all that you give people on it? It's quite robust. So we need to be clear. It's not a real site, so to speak. You mentioned it's the Google Sheet. And, and I'll kind of get into how that started. So yeah. coming from that background of finding Tasty Trade, of course, I was taking all the content in. And this was early on in sort of my, my education, I guess, and wanting to find everything out there and all the resources. So I started in these Facebook groups. And there's a couple of really large, you know, multi-thousand member Facebook groups. And so it was in there and it was trading ideas and sharing, learning from other people. And so the genesis of, in fact, the first thing I did was I started a Reddit post. I was like, there's so much stuff on Tasty Trade. I wanted to make a list. I, I made something called like the Tasty Trade repository, something or other. Wow. That was one of the first things I did. And then, so there was that. And then I started kind of, I, I would post regularly some of my trades and thoughts in the Facebook group. And but then I started wanting to collecting collect it together, and I was I was posting like a live trade log. I still do, right? You can see some of my trades. And so I started with the Google Sheets. I don't know how that started, but I knew it was a way to like it's a collaborative tool. You can access it from you know my computer, my phone. I can update it. And so I brought the Tasty Trade. You know, I call it the Tasty Trade Compendium. So that brought over. So I never built an actual website. I have a domain, the tradebusters.com, which directs you. So don't get freaked out if you go to it. It's just like a long freaking URL that it's not, I don't know, it's, it's not like a scam page. Hopefully you don't think that's what it is. But, you know, and it's just really archaic. And then I started writing essays, you know, yeah. different topics that got added on. I think it's like a Dropbox link. And then I started the podcast, put that on there. I started listening to, I'm, I'm listening to podcasts 24-7. You know, your podcast is not just so many things to listen to. So I'm kind of curating for people. So I've curated Tasty Trade stuff. That one's a little out of date, but you kind of get the idea. There's yeah. podcasts I curate. You know, there's my own podcast on there. And so it was just a project that kind of got out of control. It was just yeah. an idea that I had on a whim. And it just it just became this 
behemoth and and that's it is what it is now it's it's so uh such a contribution to traders and i am always encouraged uh and maybe i'm just lucky that i keep meeting amazing traders but i'm so impressed how you want to give back to those who are learning and coming up through the ranks and i see that repeatedly with some of the guests that i bring on here is there is this desire to really be a contribution to people it's really beautiful so just thank you for wanting to give that takes hours to put that kind of organization together that other people will benefit from just curious like where does that come from for you so in the beginning, like I said, it was being in those groups was just wanting to learn more and meet people. And when you meet people and there's like-minded people, you're, you're making friends, right? Yeah. And so you like hanging out, you like sharing. And at some point it was, you know, I, I turned back and having had success launching a hedge funds, hedge funds and, you know, having the success that I've had, I still kind of associate myself with kind of the retail crowd. I don't think of myself necessarily as a professional or yeah. maybe a professional, but not, not institutional, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So I still hang out and I have my discord group and it, it's just people that I want to hang out with. And I wanted to kind of give back because that was where I got my start. Right. So it's kind of, kind of just paying it forward. And, and I've said for myself, like I've kind of made it, so to speak. And now I don't have to, you know, there was a couple of years there where it was grinding out, building the business and focusing on raising capital and building out the fund and all that. But now I'm at a point where, okay, this thing is running and I can kind of turn around and just kind of enjoy myself. Yes. And I do enjoy the feedback, yeah. you know, the, uh, the fellowship, the camaraderie, being in the discord groups and all that. So I get kind of a sense of pleasure and friendships out of that. No, for sure. Fellowship, such a great, great, great word. And I haven't heard anybody use that. I've heard community used, but fellowship is the word. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the power of fellowship with the trading communities. You talked about how Tasty Trade sped up your learning curve. And then also I had another question about community, but now I'm changing it to fellowship. Why do you think that that is so important for traders, even seasoned traders? Because trading is a lonely business. Well, you know what? It doesn't have to be, but I think if you don't know where to turn to, that's inevitably how it is just because there's a learning curve to be proficient at in the first place. And how many people who are at a certain level can say there's anybody in their personal sphere in real life that can speak on the same level. So if you're lucky, like as if you went and worked on Wall Street and everyone around you is like that, then, you know, that's just kind of part of life, right? But ordinary retail traders, like in the middle of nowhere, like where are you going to find those kind of people, right? And so, and again, because I recognize that I had gotten so much, like I'd like to just take nuggets here and there and, and pull things of value and kind of put them together and make them my own. So I recognize that was a resource for me. Yes. I recognize the importance of having that. And with my Discord group, for example, it's specifically geared towards people who listen to my podcast. And I mentioned before that I do this interesting exam. And it's not about kind of being elitist. It's more just about trying to cultivate. And it's a little walled off so that if you are willing to put in the effort and show that you have an interest, then it is a high likelihood that you know, we're going to have similar ways of thinking and approaching yes. and, and people are just going to jive better. And so if you can find that kind of community, then, you know, you know, I kind of want to be like a safe space. You know, people can 
people don't just talk about trading in there. there there's all kinds of stuff. People like complain about things going on in their life or whatever. So it really is finding a room of your best friends, you yeah. know? And yeah. so you can go through all of, you know, uh, last, you know, late last year in January, it was kind of rough for one of the strategy trade. And it's funny because like I have this room where I'll change the name of the room to match the mood. Wow. But most most often the room is called panic room because <laughs> the room is usually very, these places are very quiet when everyone's doing well. And then, you know, as soon as stuff goes wrong, you know, it lights up and, and that's what it's for, right? It's a sounding board of like, hey, we're all like losing our shirts here. Like what's going on? And can be able to turn around and, and see people next to you having the same experience. Exactly. I think that's very, that that can really help. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. I can't help but think of Howard Lindzen's podcast, which is called Panic with Friends. <laughs> so the concept is when you are in dire straits, when you're challenged, having fellowship, having community can make or break you. At least that's what I see emotionally, because it, there is so much pressure and it is so it can be so lonely and not feeling alone. It is going to give you a boost to lots of the internal hormones that we need, but also just the emotional support so that you can find your way through it. So we do have uh, this a part two here. We're gonna do Twitter space now. So I'm probably gonna have to pause us here and we'll hop over to Twitter space now and I'll meet you on that right now. Is that right. sound good? See you in a bit. Okay, see you in a bit. All right, so one of the questions that I had for you was, would you just give us what you feel are the key differences between options and equity trading? So with equity trading, it's very binary in the sense of if you buy stock, it has to go up for it to make money. And if it goes down, you lose money, right? So it's either up or down. And same thing if you short stock, right? If you make money, it goes down. You lose money, but it goes up. With options, it's very multidimensional. They're called nonlinear products. And so the price of the options are determined by time, you know, volatility, interest rates, um, how fast the under... So options are derivatives, right? So they derive the price from some underlying could be the equity that you normally trade. And so they're, they're multifaceted. And so that's what makes it kind of hard to approach and it's almost like learning a bunch of tools but then it takes a lot of time to get accustomed to that but once you do you can really craft different strategies that take advantage of you can have different assumptions about hey i think this stock's going to go up not just that it's going to go up but it's going to go up slowly or it's going to go up and then come down or it's going to do xyz by such and such date and so there's a lot of complexity and nuance but it allows you to take advantage of lots of different situations. And so that's, I think, the, the main difference between trading options and, and equities. So tell us about how you got started, where you started when you started to trade, and what the trajectory to how you trade now. Share that with us, if you would. Yeah, so I was um, in grad school. You mentioned getting my master's at Princeton. And this was around 2008, 2009. So right, right in the teeth of the great financial crisis. So the markets was on everyone's minds, right? Even if you're a trader or not a trader. So I just got the idea like, hey, this looks interesting. You know, maybe it's time to, to learn about it. And you know, I was just watching CNBC and picking random stocks. And my friend there, I told him what I was doing. And lo and behold, he knew options. So he got me started just interesting. He's like, hey, why don't you try this? And zero simple strategies at first. So I got my first start from him 
and just kind of dabbled on my own. There was no, I don't think I read any books or, or really watched anything. I didn't find Tasty Trade until like some years later. So I was kind of just doing stuff my, on my own. But around 2017, that was when I first came across Tasty Trade. And that was like eye-opening because there is free content. It's on all the time and just a fire hose information. So that really opened my eyes into kind of all the different possibilities. And like I said, it kind of accelerated the learning curve. And while I was doing that, that's when I kind of dove head first into options and everything. So I was joining online communities like Facebook groups while I was watching, meeting people online. And that was really taking, and of course, trading a whole bunch more too. So that really took the experience level and kind of to new heights. And probably like, couple years so let's see i started my first hedge fund late 2018 so i guess that's like almost two years after finding tasty trade because i don't know what gave me the idea but i guess i had enough confidence i was like hey you know if i'm gonna be trading and if i can make a business and make money trading for others doing the same thing just with a larger account that seems kind of appealing so you know maybe a little naive at the time and of course things never start off perfectly so there was some a bit of a rocky start at first but i made it through 2018 2019 always learning along the way meeting more people developing more sophisticated strategies you know launched my second hedge fund 2021 and yeah here i am turn around and i've basically been managing money for what four and a half years or so yes and you you follow a systematic low-touch strategy for return on time. We talked a little bit about that in the podcast, but why don't you just speak to this kind of approach? Yeah, so this idea really came in the beginning out of necessity because, you know, I still had my day job and I'm not one to, I guess not like a day trader in the sense of sitting and watching a screen, looking for setups and having to be hyper-focused on missing one little trade setup or whatever. With options, as I mentioned, because of the multifaceted nature and the fact that time is an element, you know, there are certain strategies where if you put on a position and manage your risk, and managing your risk just means checking once a day, once a week, and seeing that the losses aren't aren't too big. Like you can generate profits without having to quote unquote actually do anything, right? The positions kind of just work for you. And so the idea was like trying to find a way to get strategies where, and I want to stress that low touch it doesn't mean low knowledge and like not knowing what you're doing and just you're going to make money, right? You have to understand what you're doing, but the knowledge is what gives you the conviction that, hey, I can put these on it and something's not going to blow up on me, right? But the idea is if you can have strategies where it doesn't have to take eight hours a day sitting in front of the screen, right? If you want to, you know, people talk about return on capital so much. That's like a big focus, right? But then return on time, well, if you think about it, time is a form of capital, right? So if you have good return on time, that's like another kind of capital because if you have very efficient strategies in terms of not having to spend all day, then you can go do other stuff with your time, right? So that, I mean, I would argue that's another kind of return on capital. So that's kind of the the, the mindset, I guess, and why I like to think of it that way. You know, one of the things that's interesting about your podcast is just that you really do see this, you're informed by this mission to educate retail traders in general and really help them it feels to me like you're really clear on how much a community impacts those who are 
on this journey. When was it that you launched that podcast? What was your hope for those who listen to the podcast? So in the beginning, when I was in the Facebook groups, I would post ideas and those groups have tens of thousands of people. So it, it does get to be a lot of noise at a certain extent. You can only get so much value. And so I was, you know, I would post, people would post. And I, at some point I felt like sometimes the point was getting missed because I would post very systematic things. I would even post like, hey, here's my trades for the day. Here's my trade log. I had started building out my current Google Sheets trading page. I would link that. So it was very regular, but still at the same time, there would be instances where somebody would kind of unknowingly trade too big, trying to follow a certain strategy, not fully understanding. And then of course, you know, no strategy is going to make money in our environment. So inevitably something goes wrong and somebody loses too much money and people are like, hey, you know, this isn't what I thought it was. And really, I think it was just a kind of lack of understanding. So I realized in that kind of environment, it's not necessarily conducive to kind of the, the more nuanced learning that I think is required. So I kind of split off and formed the Discord group as a way to draw out people who, first of all, took an interest in what I'm doing and want to learn, right? And I mentioned, and I, I literally put out an entire podcast episode on the Discord and what it's about so people can know what the expectation is, right? And I mentioned the fact that there is a entrance exam, right? And I want people to show that they have an effort and they're interested. But once you get in there, really having a group and a community of people that share the same interest, I think that can not only it's a good learning environment, but it's a good kind of support network for, you know, your trading. And it's funny, it ends up being a support network sometimes for things outside of trading too. So that's kind of the idea behind yeah, it. Absolutely. I mean, I am obviously always talking about how the external of our lives impact the internal of how your mindset is as a trader. And my company is called The Wall Street Coach. For those who have not heard of me before, I host these Twitter spaces with traders that I feel can really be a contribution to you guys, not just around the technical aspects, but around the emotional intelligence, because I feel that that is such a foundational piece of any trader's success. And one of the things David and I have talked about a couple of times is just how much support he got when he was involved with Tasty Trade and how now I see him really paying it forward with his own community. One of the things I'd love to talk about, David, is just this, I think perhaps, especially in this environment we've had for the past year or so, there are traders who are looking to diversify by expanding into options. What kind of mindset do you think they need to ask themselves if they have to succeed in options? What, what would you say are, if any, differences in mindset if they've never been in options deeply before i think you have to just have a willingness to learn up front and there's this kind of a, a parable or, or story that i like to tell that gives an example of kind of the potential and the story goes so so one day there's this large cruise ship you know sitting on the dock and, and it's out of commission right something's wrong with it that the engine's not working they're, they're trying everything they do to fix it and they send all their technicians and they can't figure it out and so they finally they bring in the specialist and he comes in and he spends 20 minutes looking around, inspecting everything. And finally, after 20 minutes, he takes out this little hammer and he hits this one little spot somewhere in the engine room. And the whole thing starts working. And everyone's amazed. And they're like, oh, my God, this is like, how did you figure that out? And he's like, you know, telling them, okay, 
<laughs> that'll be twenty thousand dollars, right? The bill twenty thousand dollars. And these guys are in shock. They're like, How can you charge twenty thousand dollars when all you did was take a little hammer and hit this one little spot? And his response was, How do you think I knew when you guys couldn't figure it out? How do you think I knew to take this little hammer and hit this one little spot? Right? It's because of all those years I've taken to accumulate knowledge and learn about how this ship works. So you're not paying me for those twenty minutes. You're paying me for the years. And so I think that kind of illustrates the potential. And I know there's this kind of really high kind of burden and barrier to entry. But to get to that, you know, we just talked about the return on time and these low touch strategies. Well, you can't get to that point without understanding why these strategies work in the first place. And I think now there are there are good resources. One of the issues is with options, is not just options, but just trading in general. There's so much like garbage out there, right? And so finding the good resources and even Tasty Trade, I really like them. I believe their message, but it's like hard to figure out where to start with them, you know? Yes. Yeah. Admittedly, my podcast is not necessarily for beginners either, but I'm always willing to point people to the resources where there's that kind of options 101, like option alpha or where to look on Tasty Trade. And if you're willing to put in the time you can, I believe, acquire the knowledge necessary to really be effective and optimize your use of time and effectiveness in managing your, your assets. Yeah, well, your thetradebusters.com is an incredible curation of podcasts to watch. Although my podcast isn't quite up there yet. I gave you a hard time about that earlier, David, but I know you'll put some, some of your favorite Definitely, no, that, that's uh, going to go for soon. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, but it is great, really. The curation, the time you put, especially because Tasty Trade, I know, is just so robust. I mean, it's 24 hours of content every single day for so many years. And the way you curated those most important episodes of Tasty Trade is just, it's a contribution to the community. It truly, truly is. So I hope you guys will check out what he's done. Plus, it's also his trade blog podcast guide to all podcasts that that he listens to values and he breaks them down by the subject matter so it truly is a contribution to traders tell me a little bit about what some of the misconceptions are about options trading that you'd like to clear up one main one is that options are just for leverage or for so-called yolo bets and trying to get crazy gains on meme stocks and I'm sure people have heard about buying calls on AMC and, and GameStop and all that and Tesla. And so, yes, options are inherently leveraged vehicles, but the point of that, well, the point that I like to use, you know, is for the capital efficiency and again, ways to kind of creatively add strategies and layer them together and kind of construct a portfolio. So that's kind of the, one of the main misconceptions, the options are too exotic and they're only for trying to do something and get ridiculous returns and um, another one is that they're too hard to learn and like too hard and the difficulty that's relative right yes there's a high barrier of entry but as i mentioned if you're willing to put in the time and if you have the right resources resources being websites like taste trade option Alpha, or the communities where people can help out i think you know, you're still gonna have to put in the time but it is something that is manageable, especially because the end goal, again, is to get to the point, for me anyways, where you can 
have low touch or strategies that you're not there committing six hours a day in front of the screen looking at it, right? It's more just about, you know, you know it's like studying, you know, doing night school, right? You can study for an exam and after hours if you want. And, and then the actual implementation, it doesn't have to take a big chunk of your, your life. Yeah, yeah. Do you think because of your electrical engineering background that you were just very cognizant of how you were going to divvy up your time and where you're going to put your attention? Or do you think that's just part of your kind of temperament? You just want to be very sensitive to how you manage your time and resources. I think it's because I'm lazy and I, I want to do the least amount of work possible. <laughs> I mentioned earlier about the Pareto principle, right? Like using 20% yeah. effort for 80% of the results. And, you know, I want to do 1% to get the 99% of the results. So it's more like if I'm going to be doing something, how can I best leverage and magnify the effect of my actions? Yeah. Uh, seasoned traders can lack conviction sometimes. What are some of the key ways that you build conviction for yourself? So one of the ways we do is just rigorous testing and really understanding where a strategy has edge. And when I say testing, it's not just slapping a thousand tests and finding the one with the highest PNL that gets spit out from whatever software you're using. And it's really, if you have an understanding, first of all, of why something should work, right? You have a hypothesis, then you can try and have different ways to attack this. And that's where the backtesting comes in. But when you're testing things, it's not, again, just about, you know, I literally had an episode called optimizing for profit versus optimizing for conviction. Because some strategies that look good, as in the endpoint has a high profit, when you go back and look through the tests, and this shows there's a humongous drawdown in the middle, or it's like all losers and all of a sudden it makes all this money in the last year. Well, you're not going to be able to trade something like that, right? So understanding the context, that is something that really helps with the conviction. And something else that I want to touch upon that we didn't get a chance to earlier was having the right expectations. I think this is a big thing that I think people have to think about. On my Twitter, for example, I have a posted tweet and I have kind of different content that I post. But one of them is like a, a thread that I posted called like, how to design a trading plan. And it's funny because the very first question, there's like kind of four or five questions you have to ask yourself. And the first question is, how much do you want to make, right? And it seems like a weird question to ask a trader because most people are just like, well, I just want to make as much as I can. But really, mm -hmm. really think about it, like how much, what's enough, right? And this can change, right? Because like, you know, somebody wants to be like Brian Lee and, and make thousands of percent and, and, compound my account, you know, hundreds of percent. I mean, that that's a whole different mindset, but you also got to realize like people like Brian are like the 1% of the 1%. And Tom has said, Tom Sazam has said something where, you know, traders kind of fall within these gradients, right? That the bottom 15%, the top 15%, and then everyone in the middle, right? And so the top 15% are really successful, 15% on the bottom fail, and everyone kind of falls in the middle. And so people, if you want to shoot for the top 15% or the top 1%, know that not everyone's going to make it there. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help the bottom 85%, honestly, because I think everybody who takes the time to learn and has, uh, you know, makes that effort, you can achieve pretty reasonably good results that are better than just passive, close your eyes, buy and hold, hope for the best with that kind of minimal effort. And that's often okay, because if you think about it, like if you're only trying to make, you know, 15%, 20% a year, 
and you can actually do that compounded over 20 years you're gonna be like warren buffett you're literally gonna be like warren buffett right after 30 or 40 years so knowing that you don't have to shoot it's fine to aim for the stars right but it's hard and it's okay to yeah. not be in that upper echelon and you can do very well for yourself just having a little bit of education and effort and that's kind of my mo it's so powerful we have this very unusual assessment with my coaching firm that we offer traders and one of the things that this measures it measures judgment but one of the specific scores David, is around expectations. And I can't tell you how often somebody has overvalued what their expectations are. And what does that look like? In Like, just imagine saying, I'm going to run the Ironman this weekend without any prep. It's like, wow, you're probably not going to be happy with your results if you decide to jump into an Ironman in three days. So that I think is just so critical. I wonder how many traders really consider are their expectations appropriate? Now look, and this graph tells us if like it's ridiculously overvalued or not, but just having some bodacious goals is one thing, but reaching for something that's completely in another galaxy just sets you up. It really sets you up for failure. So that is a really powerful point you just made. I think the concept of wanting to help that bottom 85%, like it sounds so much more of a reasonable kind of expectation if you're like, wow, the chance of me being Michael Jordan of trading is probably going to be elusive for me. How do I still improve and consistently be able to create that kind of revenue that I ultimately want? What do you think? Did you do some work around that? How did you come to terms with that for yourself? Just out of curiosity. So it's interesting because when I was first starting my fund, and this was when I had some, I've built numerous strategies throughout the years. And in the beginning, honestly, I was probably a little bit naive launching a fund when I did. You know, I had like one pretty basic strategy. And I used to shoot ideas back and forth. And one of the my friends, he was actually, a, his name was Ben Latz. He was an ex Tasty Trade Researcher. He was on the Tasty Trade Research team. And so I got connected with him. We chatted and he gave me this. And it's funny because he was kind of so smart. He did a lot of research and he got a bit nihilistic because he realized how hard it was to actually outperform the market. So if you have all this time and effort and you're going to make, you know, you know, X dollars, but even then, if you don't have a large capital base, right? If you don't have hundreds of thousand dollars, right? If you have $10,000, right? You can make 50% and you make $5,000, right? Is that worth your time? In the beginning, you can argue the yeah. education and, and self-improvement, sure. But practically speaking, that's not, you're not going to live on that, right? But then he kind of gave me some ideas and he, and he taught me about some of the efficiencies of combining options and stock. This example, this actually kind of changed my entire mindset. Now, I don't use this model anymore, but I used this for a long time. And, and something I, I think I can kind of challenge the, 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 the conception that your audience might have. So, you know, Warren Buffett, he had this famous bet with some hedge fund manager that it was like over 10 years, like you bet people couldn't beat the S&P 500 index, for instance, right? And I think he won the yeah. bet. It was like, it, it's very, very hard to beat in an absolute basis, the return of something like the S&P 500 index. And so here's the thing. So if I say, hey, like Joe Trader, do you think you can beat the market consistently? I mean, it's, it's hard to answer that. And we know statistically that's very difficult. 
But if I was to ask you, hey, do you have confidence? Do you have conviction that you can make 1% per year? 1% per year. I think most people, even who aren't that comfortable, they, 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 yeah, I can probably do that, right? 1% per year sounds pretty simple. And so if you keep that in mind, so there's this concept of when you trade options, you know, using leverage is it's what's called a margin. It's because you're, you know, most people assume you have to have cash as a collateral. You have to post collateral to do these options trades. But what I learned and what I tell people is that in addition to cash, stocks, equities are marginable, for example. So the idea is this. If you simply bought the S&P 500 you know, index fund, right, with your account, you're going to get the market return. That's by definition because you bought the market. Now, if you use options and trade on top of that and make 1% a year, guess what? You've just added 1% per year to the market return. Now, if you do that over 15 years, you're beating the market by 1% every year. Guess what? After compounding, that's a pretty big outperformance, right? And again, I don't use this exact model anymore, but I think it illustrates a very powerful point that like something so simple I tell this example to people and there's always this moment when this kind of light bulb goes off in their head and they realize how powerful this kind of simple concept is and just really reframing and thinking about things from a different perspective. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I feel that's part of what I find so fascinating about your perspective. You are speaking about things I don't really hear spoken about often, including context. And that's what's, you know, really fascinating to me because this, it is truly like a chess game. <laughs> and that strategy, you know, I was a huge fan of the Queen's Gambit. And part of what I found so fascinating was her ability, the more information she got, the more she began to see different ways to kind of skin that cat. And that's what it feels like you have done for yourself just over all of these years. Idea, though, that there are traders who perhaps are not embracing this even 1%, and that is perhaps sabotaging them. That's a pretty profound concept, David. Yeah, and, and I think I mentioned in the beginning, like, it's, I think this perspective might be a little different than some of your, your former guests because people come on and you have on these elite traders like Brian Lee. And of course, that's very inspirational, right? And people will hear this, they get fired up and like Brian's out there doing good work and trying to teach people. But there can only be so many Brian Lees in the world. And I honestly believe that I'm trying to cast a really wide net and I'm just trying to change this narrative around what retail investing can be. And it, retail investing doesn't have to be YOLO trading and call buying and the things you've heard in the last since the pandemic and all that, this whole Robinhood phenomenon. And so I'm basically trying to, you know, kind of spread the same message as Tasty Trade, but just kind of from my different angle. Yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to have to wrap this up in a minute or two. I didn't ask before. We had a couple of listeners if anybody had a question, but let me ask that now. Hello, Stuart. I'm so glad you're here. Gus, if either one of you guys have a question for David, just indicate that and I'll give you the microphone. Just let me know if you guys do want to ask him anything. All right, Gus has gone away. So it's up to you, Stuart. Do you have a question for David? And if not, no sweat. Just give me the option before we close it up. Sometimes people don't even have the ability to kind of respond in here. But I'm glad you're here, Stuart. What can I say, David? This was such a great conversation. Uh, some of my favorite quotes from it is this return on time. I think that's just a 
heady, heady concept for people to really kind of own. It's like, wow, this is not just a return on their money, but this is about a return on time. Knowledge is conviction. That's another quote of yours that I really love. And we talked today about context. And part of the reason you do bag testing is also to really be completely have context transparent for yourself. So is there anything you want to say that I didn't ask you that I perhaps should have before we close this two-part conversation with you up? No, I think that about covers it all. And speaking of quotes, I do have one more that I like to tell people, and it has to do with yeah. the back testing and stuff too. And the quote is basically, nobody knows their t risk tolerance until they do, because everybody thinks yes. that uh, I, I hear people talk about, I want to do this strategy or this trade, and I don't mind if this happens, I'm okay losing X percent, so I'm going to do it this way. And then when those that loss happens, they freak out, right? And nothing's going the way they think it yep. is. And that's, again, why it's so important to have context and knowing what to expect because you do not yep. know your risk tolerance. Your risk tolerance, it will find you. You don't find it. So that's something to keep in mind as it, well. It sounds a lot like that my Tyson quote. <laughs> yes, everybody has a plan until they get punched. Yeah, yeah. it's another version of that. <laughs> And it's so true. It's so true. You know, in an ideal world, I have this much risk tolerance. But the reality is, if I'm wet myself, when my risk tolerance is in the neighborhood of it, then you actually don't exactly. know your risk tolerance. Exactly. That's really, really good. Oh, Mike, we're about to shut this up, but I'll give you a second. Was there a question you wanted to ask David, son? And if not, no sweat. Just giving you the option because we're just about to close this down. And just for... The record, guys, I'm going to release this in either a week or two. I'm not sure how backed up my editor is right now. We did a first part uh, Zoom conversation with David, which was about 30 minutes. And we've just been here for about 30 minutes. So I hope you guys will keep an eye out for this. My podcast is called The Wall Street Coach. I have an executive coaching firm specific for traders and investors and executives. So I hope you guys... Uh, Thank you for listening, Stuart. You're awesome. And David, thank you for coming on my podcast. I am such an advocate of your website, thetradebusters.com. I know it's not technically <laughs> a website. It's more of a trading paid Google Excel spreadsheet, but it's just chock full of valuable information. Of course, you have David's Twitter handle here, The Trade Buster, and his podcast is amazing as well, which is on Spotify. Thank you, David, for coming on my podcast. And I'm really looking forward to getting to know you over the years and see how many traders you help get into options. So thank you for being such a contribution. To thank them. you for the opportunity. All right. Aloha for now. See you. Bye. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.